Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello, and welcome to Soccer Made in Portland on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. My name is Chris Reifer, and joining me, as per usual, the Timbers and Thorns beat writer for the Oregonian and OregonLive.com, Jamie B. Goldberg. Jamie B., what's up? Not much. I mean, I I feel like I haven't been around soccer as much as usual recently with the weekend off, um, and it's going to be another weekend off, too. Um, well, not for Thorns. I'll definitely right. be at that game, but we'll get to that later. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it's, it was a bit weird. I, I was trying to think back, uh, thinking about the Chicago game before this and it, it felt probably longer ago than it was. Um, but they, we just don't have too many of these, uh, weekends off during, uh, what is uh, nine month season. Yeah, no um, kidding. so <laughs> I think this is one of like two, maybe, maybe a few more, but it really isn't very many. So um, doesn't feel like a lot of soccer recently, uh, even though it was just one weekend off. Yeah. The, so the Timbers, they, I mean, they played the fire a week ago today. We're recording on Wednesday, uh, Wednesday the 12th, that is, in case you're, you know, catching up late. Uh, but So like they played a week ago today, but you're totally right. It, it feels like it was forever ago. Uh, and it felt weird not having Timber soccer uh, last weekend. It was their first weekend off of the year. And like, it's kind of a weird... I mean, they have two weeks off between games. They have two weeks between games. But, like, the way the games are lined up, going a Wednesday, weekend off, weekend off, Wednesday, is really bizarre. I don't think I can remember a similar sort of setup, uh, setup at least in the MLS timbers of, uh, of having the, those kinds of games. And I guess this is actually uh, a decent introductory point, uh, which is, you know, a... a, a MLS has sort of decided to take to observe the Gold Cup break essentially through the group stage. Do you think that makes a lot of sense? I, I you know, I mean, we'll talk about uh, Darlington Nagby's uh, potential situation later. Uh, but do you think it makes a whole lot of sense to sort of take a like definite hard break during the group stage, but then just start playing full speed ahead uh, through the knockout stage, even though you know the teams that that, that most MLS players play on the U.S., obviously, uh, but also teams like Panama, teams like Honduras, uh, teams like Costa Rica, teams like Jamaica, you know, most or all of those teams are going to make the knockout stage. Does that really make sense to you, the way MLS has set this up? I think it's probably a difficult situation for them. They probably felt that they could only take so much time off. So whether to do that in the group stage or the knockout stage, if they, if they felt they only had a set amount of time that they could take off and still be able to fit in all the games and, and have playoffs when they wanted to be in and all of that. 
Um, it, it probably made more sense in the group stage just because all the teams would be playing. Whereas during the knockout stage, teams are going to be knocked off. Um, yeah, it, it's strange. I, I think in an ideal world, if you're going to take the break, take the full break. Um, but as we constantly talk about with MLS scheduling, they don't have a lot of flexibility to take breaks and to take extended breaks um, with how the the season is sort of set up. And um, when they do take other breaks for international games as well, adding this on top of it, um, I'm guessing they just didn't feel they had the flexibility uh, to kind of call this a, a long break and have it have it go for the majority of the month and get both the the group stage and the knockout stage in it. You know, and, and that's certainly correct that they couldn't have taken, you know, sort of the full, I think it's like a, basically a three week tournament from start to finish. They couldn't have taken that, that full stretch of time plus, you know, the, the sort of run up to it uh, where, where they had it. But it, I mean, it, it seems odd to me that, that the Timbers sort of have two weeks of nothing and then immediately go back into playing. I think they play three games in nine days or something like that. Uh, right away at the end uh, or essentially during the knockout stage uh, of the Gold Cup. I'm not sure that scheduling makes any sense to me. And I'm sure if you ask the Timbers, frankly, they would very candidly say they would have preferred to have played a game last weekend and then not have that sort of compressed schedule during the knockout stage. And and, and the reason for them, as we'll discuss later, is very simple. There's a good chance they're going to be more handicapped uh, by the Gold Cup during the knockout stage. Uh, and during many of those knockout stage games, then they will, uh, then then they then they would have been uh, during the group stage. And so, you know, I, I mean, it, it's an interesting question. Uh, MLS sort of took the uh, the the all all and nothing approach, I, I suppose, uh, in going completely dark during the group stage. Uh, but I'm I'm just not, I guess, entirely convinced that's the the approach that makes more sense. Um, okay, let's talk about soccer that happened a while back. Uh, as we mentioned a week ago, that was the Timbers 2-2 draw uh, against the Chicago Fire at Providence Park. Um, our predictions, uh, y- this is going to be kind of an intolerable episode, to be honest, uh, for people who who enjoy the schadenfreude of me struggling in predictions. Uh, I called, uh, said 2-2 draw. Uh, I, I said Sebastian Blanco was going to have a goal and an assist uh, he, he did not have the assist. He definitely did have the goal, though. Uh, you called a 2-1 loss for the Timbers. You thought the Fire were going to get their two, but the Timbers were only going to get their one. You were looking good for a second. Uh, and, and then you, you, you said there was going to be an Espria goal. That did not happen. Uh, Jamie Goldberg, just because I sort of want to bask in this for a minute, why don't you go ahead and hand out the points? <laughs> um, well... I, I don't I don't even know if I should get any points uh, unless we're gonna go to talking about the fire goal total. Hey, I'm not I agree. Zero points for you. So zero points for me. <laughs> um so close, but I, I guess it's better for uh Portland all around that my prediction did not come true. Um <laughs> it's a pretty high level of difficulty. You didn't get the assist, but you're pretty much on the money outside of that. I'm gonna give you So much suspense. 55 points. Oh, 55 points. Wow, I feel good about that. Tremendous. 55 points. Uh, I will take it uh, and I will move on. You know, I mean, because the game was so long ago, uh, I I don't think it'll be particularly useful to go into super depth uh, about it because there was nothing. I mean, there was nothing really uber controversial 
uh, about the game. Uh, but I, I think it is fair to certainly to talk about sort of, a, I, I guess, the, the top line takeaway uh, from it, which, which you know, is, in, I think, in a similar format to what we've done before. What's more disappointing to you? The, the result, uh, ultimately only taking the draw? Uh, or or, or, or I, I guess I totally phrased that wrong. I'm better at predictions than I am at phrasing my questions. Uh, so let's do this. Is the result more disappointing or the performance more encouraging? Go. That's that was much better. I think I think this is a little bit tougher. Um, I, I think the game before against Kansas City, we had we had a similar question, and I w- was very much on the side of it's more disappointing given the context. Um, Given the context of the last two games, both being pretty encouraging performances, though not um, being completely the result you would like based on the performance, I I am a little, I am more encouraged than I was after the Kansas City game, particularly since the Timbers are, were dealing with a very depleted roster. They were dealing with a more depleted roster with the absence of Maddox and and Pal, in addition to the other absences um, against Chicago. And I, as we saw from the predictions, didn't have a lot of confidence um, that the Timbers would be able to get a result. As it turned out, um, Chicago was missing probably their two best midfielders that probably contributed to the game as well. Um, It might have been a a different match had they been there, but the Timbers were dominant. Um, They... This was a game that you can be very, very happy with the performance, and especially the players that... um, have been put in roles based on injuries, based on absences, stepping up. And so I think that's a really good sign. It does give me encouragement. Um, So maybe I'm leaning a little bit more towards that side, but I don't want to, I don't want to discount the disappointment in it because once again, it wasn't a a second half breakdown, Um, but the Timbers took the lead and ended up having to fight back to simply get the result. And they once again um, conceded goals and there were, you know, there's moments that can be better on defense. There, There's moments that can be better across the field. And while they were dominant, it, you, you want that to be three points and you want that to be three points, especially at home. Um, so I'm going to lean on the side of encouraged, but the trend is still there uh, where the Timbers are putting themselves in winning positions and, and not, not getting wins. So it sounds like in coming away from the game on a scale of one to Caleb Porter, you're like a six, right? Is it, is that fair? Yeah, that, that's probably about right. Okay, so you're like a six. I was, I'm going to actually say I'm like a three or maybe a four if I'm in a good mood. Uh, and, and it's not that I disagree with anything that you said. The Timbers were, were very, very good for really, really long stretches of this game. And I think you can make a credible argument, as Porter did after the game, that if you look at the Timbers' performance on the day as a whole, it may have been their most complete performance uh, of the season. I think you can go back and and, and look at a few others, maybe that, that home win over Dallas. Uh, you, you know, I, I think there are a few others that you could certainly point to as being good performances. Uh, but they, I don't I don't think that's a that's a laughably bad argument to say that it may have been sort of, you know, if you put your hand over your eyes uh, as to the score sheet, may have been the, the Timbers' best performance or, or most complete performance of the season. But look, I, I, I don't know how you can get over sort of the Timbers' just stunning ability to get the absolute least out of these games that they deserve more from. I mean, you go back over the course of this five-game uh, streak in which a uh, winless streak, 
And you can make a very good argument. In fact, I, I think you would have a, a difficult time making any argument to the contrary. But you can make a very good argument that the Timbers should have taken more out of each and every one of those games. And that's, I mean, the, the, the continuation of that trend, the Timbers' ability to, to, to snatch defeat, or in this case a draw, out of the jaws of victory, is, is massively troubling. It's something we've seen a lot this season, and it's something we've seen basically without fail over the course of the last month or so. And I mean, I just don't know if I can sort of wrap myself in the warm fuzzies of her performance when we see this happening. I mean, sure, the Timbers' performances have been flawed over this period of time. Yes, they've had moments that have been very bad, uh, and, and even there have been times during games in which they, they've not been good. But we've seen pretty good soccer from the Timbers during, during this stretch. We, we've seen pretty good soccer from the Timbers in the Seattle game. We saw pretty good soccer from the Timbers, certainly against Chicago. We saw pretty good soccer from the Timbers uh, at Kansas City. And yet in none of these games did they come away with, with three points that, if you look at the performance, they should have had. And I, I just can't get over that right now. Uh, I just think that's that's such a big problem. It's long-standing enough that I'm concerned that it is sort of a non-fluky kind of thing uh, that, that I can't sort of get to the point where I'm encouraged by the performance unless I see that they're also going to be able to get results from these performances. So as good as the performance was, and, and you know, I mean, the, what, the shots were going off my week old memory, like 24 to 6 uh, or, or something like that. The Timbers dominated possession. They strung passes together. They played really attractive soccer. Great. Fantastic. We've seen them do that. We haven't seen them get results. And until they do that latter part, I'm not going to be happy. Do you think that's unduly harsh? I'm a three or four on the scale of one to Caleb Porter. I think think it's an okay um, assessment. I I think I'm leaning a little bit more towards encouraged simply because of just how many absences they were dealing with, how short their bench was, and um, the fact that they've strung together what I consider two very good performances against Kansas City and the fire that I think have taken they have taken a step forward in terms of at least the performances in those two games and maybe some of these other games of the stretch. Um, but I, I mean, I agree with you, and that's what I was pointing to as well with the disappointment. I, I agree with you that until they get results, it's just not good enough. I, I mean, this is a team that could be much higher up on the table if they had been able to get the results that their performances should have led to and been able to grind those out in these last five games. And the fact that they've dropped those puts them in a much more precarious position in the standings where they are going to have to start looking at that red line pretty soon, um, especially since teams around them have games in hand. And if this continues on, this is a team that in a couple of weeks, very possibly could be below that red line. So yeah, I agree with uh, what you're saying. Um, I think my reasoning for being a little bit more optimistic is, is just because um, of how depleted the Timbers were and, and just because of the last two performances put together. Um, but yeah, if, if they go into RSL and drop another another result, um, th- this is very quickly. Uh, they're getting to the point where it, this team may not be above the red line in a few weeks. Okay, it is time for the Smippies. Uh, since we don't sort of have an active Timbers game to, to talk in depth about, we're going to give out some midseason awards. So they are the Smippies. Uh, we have four categories. One is kind of a combined category, so maybe arguably five categories. 
Uh, but the first is MVP, the Timbers sort of mid midseason MVP. Yes, I know 20 is not half of 34, but it's the break. And so get over it. We're both baseball fans here, and so we consider this midseason because baseball does it too. Uh, but anyway, uh, midseason awards, MVP. Who is your midseason MVP for the Timbers? Um, my my MVP so far is Diego Valeri. Um, I, I think when he's been effective, he's been really effective for the Timbers, and he's made a huge difference. He's tied for the club lead in goals. He, he leads the team in assists. He's been the most productive player in the attack. And um, while I think there's been some games that maybe he hasn't been his best overall when he's been on, um, those are some of the games where the Timbers have been able to get results. In, and um, he, he's been a big part of when the offense is clicking. So for me, it's Diego Larry. I mean, is there even any other answer, <laughs> to, to be honest? You know, I mean, there have been other guys that have been good uh, that I think if you wanted to really sort of stretch and make a devil's advocate argument, like maybe you could you could sort of like pin that together. But I mean, come on, it's Diego Valeri, right? Uh, so I agree with you there. Uh, no, no fight about the MVP. Uh, let, let's actually split this. Uh, let's say best offseason player acquisition. So best newcomer. Or, or, or put it this way, maybe even most surprising. So relative to expectations, the best newcomer. So, so okay, yeah, new, newcomer above expectations. Well, well, that makes it a bit. That makes it a lot easier for me. I think um, Roy Miller um, is is my player for that. Um, I, I think Roy Miller overall has been very solid for the Timbers on defense. He was a guy that was brought in as depth. I, I think there was a lot of worries about him. I, I, I think people were trying to point out. Um, that depending on the position he's playing, he, he plays differently and he's did well at Saprisa. But based on his uh, past performance in MLS, there was concern about him. I, I think overall, based on his salary cap hit, he, he's not a guy um, like Blanco, um, obviously, um, who was by far the the biggest, uh, biggest in terms of money acquisition of the offseason. Um, I, I think the expectations... For Roy Miller, there was a lot, some caution there, and he wasn't expected to play a huge role. And I think he's proven himself um, to the point where he started over Lawrence Olam in, in cases. So um, if you're if you're going to look at one player that that's most surprising and has outperformed the expectations, for me, it's him. So you go with Roy Miller there. Uh, I I think Roy Miller is, is is certainly a guy that has exceeded expectations, but I also think this one is very clear, and I disagree with you, Marco Farfan. Uh, you know, I, I, I think coming into the season, most people saw saw Farfin as a guy that, you know, was a decent prospect, maybe that in a couple or three years could be somebody that could contribute to the first team. Uh, I think the Timbers have found out over the course of this this first half, even though Vitas has held on to that starting spot, and for good reason. I think Vitas is just a good player. But but the Timbers have an elite prospect uh, at left back. He's He's been named for what it's worth, uh, to, to the homegrown, uh, the, the homegrown team on, on all-star week and week it's, it's midweek, whatever. Uh, but he's been named to the homegrown team, uh, for MLS, but most importantly, I mean, they've got now an 18 year old left back who is a legitimate MLS player. Uh, and I don't think anybody imagined that was going to be anywhere near what they expected from, from Farfan this year. I, I, I think just about everybody would have thought, He's going to, you know, go through the year T2, maybe pick up a spot, U.S. Open Cup or, or, or something like that, uh, start start through the course of the year, and, and, and we'll check back in a couple of years to see how he's doing. Uh, but that timeline has moved up significantly. And so uh, for me, that is the the sort of 
off season, I guess it was technically late season, uh, player acquisition that that has ex- most exceeded my expectations. Uh, off season player acquisition that has uh, disappointed. These phrasing is not my thing today. Uh, that has like not met your expectations the most. You know what I mean? Go, go, just talk. <laughs> Um, yeah, the most disappointing off-season acquisition. Uh, that for that me. was that was brilliant. That was like Hemingway right there. It was beautiful. <laughs> um, for for me, it's Renico Clark. Um, he wasn't a guy that we expected to contribute maybe too much this year, but I, I think we definitely saw him as potential depth and a guy that was going to see minutes and, and get in the lineup. And there was a reason the Timbers hadn't made more signings in center backs. They wanted to give him an opportunity to earn that. And not only has he not proven to Caleb Porter, um, obviously that he is ready to be in the 18, ready to see minutes at all with the first team. He hasn't been able to do that with T2 either. And so I think this is a major step back for Renico Clark and for a guy that looked like the Timbers center back of the future. Um, he's completely off the map right now and he hasn't shown that he can be that even for T2 this year. So I think that's a major disappointment. He's a guy, I think at the beginning of the season, we were saying, when you look at the young guys who, who's going to see the most minutes, he was some, a guy in that conversation. And, and it seems like right now, um, he's struggling to even get in the lineup with T2. Very strong shout. Uh, I, I would certainly give him sort of a runner up. I would give him, I, I guess the, uh, what was it? Like the. Uh, what was that movie? Uh, La La Land. I would give him the La La Land treatment, uh, like where I would call out his name and then be like, JK, lols, it's the other guys. Uh, but the other guys for me is Chance Myers. Uh, Myers was a guy that was brought in uh, explicitly to push Alvis Powell for the starting right back spot uh, to sort of make Powell feel those footsteps behind him. And uh, and if Powell didn't perform, as he hasn't consistently, uh, to take that spot from him. And uh, we've seen exactly the opposite from from Myers. Yes, he's he's struggled through injuries. Uh, yes, uh, he, I mean, and that certainly feeds the disappointment. But even when he wasn't hurt uh, in preseason and early season, he didn't look close to winning that spot. To be perfectly honest, uh, and and I think that has. I mean, you look at sort of the Timbers' sort of first choice options right now. There's that is probably the spot on the field. With apologies to right center back. That is the spot on the field in which the Timbers are most screaming out uh, for somebody to sort of sort of take the bull by the horns and, and, and take that spot and make it their own. That's what Myers was brought in here to do, and he has completely failed to do that uh, through the first 20 games uh, of the season. So that's why he is my – I can't even remember what movie won Best Picture. Do you, do you remember this? No, I'm I'm this is this is how like not a movie person I am What's because I, I, I remember everybody being like, this is such a great movie. And I'm like, hey, what's it called? Um, but it, so he is my that movie. Uh, whereas Renico Clark is my La La Land. OK, um, trends. Uh, what is the best trend that you have seen over the course of the first half of the season? Man, with with everything going on right now, <laughs> I'm trying to like what has been the best trend? Um it's a you should one. go first you you should go first you're making me one. go first now yeah let, let me let me think let me give me a second to think about it okay uh best trend i i am gonna go with uh the the uh the trend that we have seen specifically from dirona spria uh, so this can be a player or or it can be a sort of team club-wide kind of thing uh but the trend that we've seen from dirona spria 
this is a guy that, that I think when he came back, the Timbers were kind of thinking, well, let's see how this goes. He had a disastrous loan uh, down to Mionarios. Uh, his form when he left Portland was was terrible. Uh, I was surprised when he came back. I thought he was just a bad player. Uh, and he's coming, and he's A, started a lot uh, because there have been various games in which, you know, the Blanco's been suspended or Nagby's been on international duty or there's been an injury or something like that. So we've seen a lot of Espria. He hasn't always been good, but he has been good more than he's been bad. Uh, and that is a major, major improvement from how we saw him last as the Timber, certainly from how he performed uh, on loan uh, down in Colombia. And, and so that, to me, is the best trend we've seen from the Timbers. And, and, and the fact that, hey, yeah, I'm looking at, at sort of a, the, the, the sort of trend in performance uh, from a bench player and saying that's the best trend we've seen from the Timbers in this first half of the season, I think is a, is a reasonable thing to draw conclusions from as to what I think about this, uh, the, these sort of first 20 games from, from the Timbers. What do you say? Yeah, I think it's um, a little bit difficult because it has been up and down. So trends that you've started to see um, develop that that seem good haven't necessarily been saying the Timbers have been able to stick with. Specifically, you look at the beginning form at the at, you look at the form at the beginning of the season. I, I think that was a very positive trend, but obviously it has dropped off significantly from then. I, I do think overall what we've seen it from the attack when when they're at their best, when they're playing well. Um, is a good trend. I, I think this attacking team is dynamic, and they, when they're at their best, they, they are very difficult to stop. And I think that's been uh, really important in the Timbers getting the results they have been able to get. Within that, you've seen, like you said, performances from, from players stepping up like Espria, but then also in recent weeks, um, you see Blanco finally starting to f- seem to find his form. Um, Audi, I think has been up and down, but he does have 10 goals. Diego Valeria, I think has been very good, uh, for the Timbers this year. Um, and Nagby has uh, at times, maybe again, the production's not what we would like out of him, but, but he has been very good at times and very important in this attack. Uh, so when this attack's clicking, I, I think that's a very positive trend. They are tied for the lead in goals in the Western conference. Um, so that's a, a important point to make. Um, but I, I, again, it, it, I found it hard to answer this a little bit because even when there are trends that are starting, there has been some ups and downs. And, and we've seen that um, in certain moments with the attack uh, struggling to finish. But overall, I think that the, the attacking form has been a good trend. Fair to say, uh, if both of us are this equivocal on the best trend in the postseason snippies, uh, that means things have not gone well. Is that fair? Yes, uh, at least <laughs> recently. I mean, take away the first month. Um, and it's been pretty up and down. Yes, for sure. Uh, okay, so this one should be a little bit easier. Worst trend. You can't uh, bail out of going first on this one. What is it for you? Well, I, I feel like I'm going to go with the obvious, uh, so I wonder if I'm taking, your, um, taking yours. The Timbers have been in winning positions, and, and they can't close out games. Um, the, that's been the trend for the last five games. They've played well. They, they've been in positions to win the game and, and they aren't picking up the results they need to. And that is a really, really worrisome trend that this team has shown that it can be good, uh, that this team has shown it can rise to the occasion and, and deal with the injuries and have players step up. Um, and yet they continue to find ways, uh, even when they have all that come together um, to make a mistake in a big moment, um, to let their guard down and, and find ways to not get the results they should get based on the performance. And as we talked about earlier, that that's a concerning trend, and that is the trend right now. Um, if it continues, that is going to push the Timbers under the red line. 
That is the, clearly the correct answer. However, I do want to talk about a La La Land to that name movie whose name I can't remember. Uh, and that is youth development as a club in general. Uh, I think this, this first half of 2017 has been a borderline disaster after what was a really good 2016. It, it, frankly, if there was one thing from 2016 that you would look at from the Portland Timbers perspective and say, what went well for the Timbers this year? That probably would have been it, right? Uh, you had a, a, a T2 team that, although it wasn't great by any means, it turned out being solid and, and went on a big run at the end of the year, largely on the youth, uh, on, on the strength uh, of various of the Timbers' youth. Uh, you, you had, uh, a, after the season, you had a number of guys sort of get promoted up through the pipeline. Uh, Marco Farfan from the Academy slash T2, uh, but you also ha- had Victor Arboleda and Redico Clark. Uh, and, and, and by and large, you sort of looked at, and, and you also had a sort of building, uh, sort of momentum from the Academy. You're starting to see more guys get, uh, youth national team call-ups. Those kinds of things, uh, were all starting to, to look more positive. You still have some of those youth national team call-ups in the academy side, so I'm not going to say this is this is uh, this is bad. That's bad. You know, Marco Farfan has been, as I noted a moment ago, an undeniable bright spot, and I think one that is genuinely exciting for for the Timbers. But otherwise, it's been a total dumpster fire. I, I mean, T2 is, is absolutely shambolical. Uh, they are the worst team in USL by light years. Uh, and, and, and we're talking about, and we're talking about a league that has a team that lost nine, nothing a couple weeks ago. Oh, by the way, T2 then lost to that same team at Providence park four, three, the week after that. So T2 has been a total disaster this year. You sort of look at the T2 system and you're not seeing anybody who could sort of be the next Renico Clark or, or, or Marco Farfan or Victor Arboleda to get, come up to, uh, the first team. You look at what they've done sort of on, on the first team scale uh, with, with regard to youth development. Yes, Farfan has gotten minutes and he's looked good in those minutes. Uh, and, and so that is in, in the positive column. Victor Arboleda, though, even though he's looked solid in, in, in some of the moments in which, uh, in, in which he's been on the field, has struggled to get minutes and has not seen the field very much. Jeremy Obobese has hardly seen the field at all. Uh, Jack Barmby has really struggled through injuries, and, and as such, even though he looked good at times early in the, in the, in the season and in the preseason, uh, has not made a, a meaningful dent at all, and as a result, you really have to wonder where he's at. Renico Clark, as you talked about, uh, has been nowhere, completely off the map. Uh, and, and so if you were sitting at the end of 2016 saying, man, this is a legitimate reason to be kind of excited about the Timbers going into 2017, with the exception of Farfan, uh, and some of the stuff that's going on, on really down deep in the roots uh, in the Youth Academy, my goodness, this season has just been a total disaster in that respect. Uh, and I think that's that's really disappointing. Uh, so, yeah, that's my La La Land. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, f- first-team results are always going to sort of take precedence over that. But uh, but do you think uh, I'm being harsh in calling that the, the close runner-up? Uh, to your observation about the first team wasting results? Well, okay. First, I, I want to say that it's it's moonlight because I looked it up. I, I Thank you. It is moonlight. To that, that's to the, totally right. Yeah, to add to the conversation since we keep using the analogy. Um, and, and then and then to go to your point, um, no, I, I don't think that's too harsh. I, I think it is a disappointment going to the season, given that the Timbers were able to sign um, a handful of guys out of T two. 
guys that they specifically said, and that was a very big point from Caleb Porter and Gavin Wilkinson in preseason, that they wanted these players to be the number two or the number three on the depth chart in their positions uh, so they would get playing time. And that hasn't really panned out. I, I, I mean, especially when you look at Renico Clark, he is not the number three at that position. They, they are going to any other option. Um, besides trying to put him even in the 18, he, he was only in the 18, um, this last game because they had no one else. Um, and, and that's a disappointment from that perspective that the players coming up that were supposed to see minutes, only one is actually seeing those minutes and Arbaleda and Ebobisi aren't really seeing those chances. Um, and T2, the goal obviously is not for them to be good. That that's not the point. Um, if they lose some games, but you're seeing what you want out of those players, you're seeing the development, that's in the right direction. That's the goal that they want. But they're also supposed to be competitive. They're not supposed to just be the worst team in the league with no players in there that look like true prospects. They're there to develop players to the first team, and it just doesn't look like that right now. Um, so, yeah, I agree. The, the Timbers have tried to come a long way in their academy system, in their, in their youth development system. That's been a big emphasis for them. And you want to start seeing those, the investment they put in paying off. And it seemed like we were at that point. Um, and it seems like it hasn't really panned out as we expected. Uh, if you want uh, sort of a, a weekly or close to weekly podcast about T2 specifically, right on Stumptown Footy, you can find Play the Kids uh, with our friends Kevin, uh, or our friend Kevin McCamish, uh, who covers T2 for Stumptown Footy. But uh, that has been more a, a you know, and, and exercise and in, in yeah just trying to survive uh, of late because that's that's just been the nature of things for T2 uh, but definitely go check them out uh, if you want more in-depth stuff on uh, the Timber second team uh, okay Smithies are over go see Moonlight I apparently need to go see Moonlight uh, let's cast some sunlight on the Timbers uh, injury report did you like that transition I came up with that <laughs> right on the spot there I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. <laughs> Very clever. <laughs> okay. Uh, Liam Ridgewell, start us off. Um, Ridgewell, I, I think, said at the same point um, that we had him for a while. Um, he's still out, as far as we know, um, for a month with the, the quad injury. I, I can't remember if that was on the last podcast or before, but um, he re-injured himself um, when he tried to come back on and is out another month. He was not in training this week. It, it, there's no indication to me that he's ahead of schedule. At this moment, it seems to be in the exact same spot, which, of course, is very disappointing for the Timbers. Uh, sort of the offshoot news of that is that last week the Timbers fired head athletic trainer Nick Wald, uh, or he resigned, depending on how, you know, PC you want to you wanna be about it. Um, what do you think about that move? Do you think that that's an exercise in scapegoating, or do you think it was coming? I, I think there's obviously not a lot we know about that move necessarily we don't really know what in, went into it behind the scenes um he did resign um there are implications that have been drawn but um i want to be somewhat careful with that just because we don't really know exactly what went into it nick wallet's been with the team for a really long time i i don't think that anything he's done has specifically contributed to injuries in, in a way that you necessarily would think that he's not capable of his job um, for the most part. I, I mean, I, I think this re-injury to Ridgewell was a big deal for Porter. Um, but when I think about it, like it does seem more type, a type of escape code or 
um, something along those lines. It wasn't, I, I think something, maybe the Timbers felt like they had to make a move. Maybe um, that was part of it, but um, it, it, it was still surprising to hear. And um, I, I think there is stuff that we don't know from behind the scenes probably. And I don't know if you can really say that, oh, changing the athletic trainer is going to be the answer uh, to the Timbers problems. Um, I I think injuries happen and it's really difficult to pinpoint uh, what the cause of those are. This is a premise that I fought off for like ever. (laughs) I mean, so, you know, we, you see the questions too every week and it seemed like we have probably had the question of should the Timbers like, you know, change the change, change the training staff at least a dozen times over the course of uh, of the last two seasons. Probably more than that, to be honest. Uh, and, and, it, and it's a premise that I like sort of fought off because you're right, there is a lot that we just simply don't know. Uh, there's a lot, I mean, there are a lot of things that go into injuries. There's, they can be bad luck. Uh, they can be uh, about specific players. Uh, they can be about any number of things. They can be about uh, sort of the training regimen and, and, and the way uh, the Timbers are, are taking care of their players, you know, so they can be about all, all of those things, some of, some of that or all of it or, or, or you know, somewhere in between. So I, I sort of resisted that premise, and I feel like two weeks ago I basically finally gave in. I was like, okay, there has been so much over the course of the last year and a half, two season and a half, two seasons, where the Timbers have had so many sort of soft tissue type injuries that at some point, yeah, you've got to look at this. Uh, it's something that has to be considered. And especially when you see somebody go out with an injury, even if it is a guy like Liam Ridgewell, go out with an injury and then come back, get in training and immediately get re-injured. Yeah, that is something that at which point you raise a serious question about the training staff and whether when they're telling you this guy is ready to return to play, this guy is ready to return to training, uh, you can rely on that. Uh, you know, so I, I think you're, it is fair to point out that, that we have, you know, of all the, the, the information that went into this decision or of all the information that is relevant to this decision, we probably have 10 or 20% of it. I would say of that 10 or 20% that we have, the, the decision does not strike me as unreasonable and it does not strike me as something that's scapegoating. The, the, the scapegoating. I do think there are reasonable questions to be asked about that. And, and I think the Timbers asked those questions uh, and, and reached their conclusion. And based on the little that we know, I can't say that's unreasonable uh, and I can't say that's entirely unwarranted. So uh, I think you're right that Nick Wald did a, a lot of good work for the Timbers for a long time. Uh, they have not always had the these same issues. And so, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that, that Wald is bad at his job. I don't, I don't think that's the case. I think he's, he's got a much longer track record uh, than what he showed with the timber, than, than you know what what the little bit that we've been able to see with the timbers over the course over the course of the last year or two. But look, I mean, at some point the res- the sort of results, <laughs> the injuries are what they are, and, and and based on what we know about that, that that certainly is a worrying kind of thing. Okay, back to the injury report. Diego Chara, what do we know about Diego? Yeah, D- Diego Chara was ahead of schedule, which is a good sign. He was in training. Um, well, he was sorry, he was not in training. He was running on the side of training um, yesterday, and so Caleb Porce is ahead of schedule and is at this point questionable for the RSL game. Um, I think that's a little bit ahead of schedule than we expected. I think based on the timeline, the assumption was that he was going to be out for that game. Um, obviously, 
given the Timbers injuries and absences right now, I, I think it would be very big for them uh, if they can get Char into that match. So Diego Char, questionable. We're going to return to that word in a moment. Uh, Jack Barnby, what do we know about Barnby and, and his availability going forward for the, for the Timbers? Yeah, I wasn't able to get a specific update from Caleb Porter uh, just because we were focused on other things. Um, but Barnby was back in training. Um, so that is a good sign in terms of his potential availability for RSL. A good sign indeed uh, in terms of his potential availability for RSL. Uh, the other person that I, I think we may not have been talking about or thinking about as, as much recently, but certainly seems to be sort of a question mark now for both the RSL game and going forward is Darlington Nagby. And it's not because of any injuries per se, uh, but because there's a, a real question about whether he'll be called into the U.S. national team for the knockout stage. I will say we're literally recording this podcast during the U.S.'s uh, Gold Cup group at group uh, stage game against Martinique. The U.S. is drawn at halftime 0-0, which is not super encouraging against, you know, one of the lesser Antilles. Uh, but you know, is, so, you know, I mean, I guess at this point in light of the draw to start the group stage against Panama, it's reasonable to question whether the U S is even going to make it to the knockout round, but assuming they do, which they probably will, uh, assuming they do make it in the knockout round, do you think Nagby is going to be called in for the knockout stage? Uh, and then will that further handicap the Timbers going forward? Yeah. Um, I think when I first initially saw the roster, I, I, that was my first thought. I think Nagby's probably going to get called in for the knockout stage. I, I think that Nagby's a player that Arena has consistently been calling in. I, I think that he's a player that it would make a lot of sense for him to want to see a little bit more out of him in this Gold Cup when he can make a few changes um, between the knockout stage, uh, between the group stage and the knockout stage. Um, I, obviously, there's only a few changes they can make, so that factors into it. But I, I think. I would not be at all surprised to see him get called in. Um, I think that's a real worry for the Timbers, um, that he is going to be one of those players that gets called up for um, the next round. And that would take him out of the RSL game. Um, and that would be very, very difficult for the Timbers <laughs> to deal with. Um, yes. You, you, so you sort of you play look, down the decision tree there, and you're like, this could be yeah. no <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah. So if Char remains out, um, if Nagby is away with the U.S. national team. Um, Guzman, you assume Costa Rica is going through. It also remains away. Um, that's when you get back to the question of, is Valentin going to play at defensive midfield? Um, and that becomes extra complicated because uh, along with that, uh, Alvis Powell remains out. So <laughs> you kind of need Valentin at D-mid, potentially, or center back if you move Lawrence Olm there, or potentially at right back. Um, this also, I think, and we'll get to in a minute, whether uh, Larry Smaviella plays um, is also going to factor into how complicated and convoluted the Timbers' decisions are going to get. O obviously, if he plays, it it's more of a simple switch. You move Olam up to D-mid. Um, but if you have Char out, if you have Maviella out, if you have Nagby out, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> suddenly a game against one of the weakest teams in MLS is looking a lot scarier and games after that um, are, are not looking that promising. Yeah. I, you know, especially given the way the U S has played through the first doing math, uh, 135 minutes of this gold cup experience. I definitely expected Darlington Nagby to get called in. This U S attack has been absolutely nowhere. Uh, they were frankly played kind of off the field by a Panama team that, that we know is not super good. 
uh, at home in, in the group stage opener. They they escaped with the one one draw. Uh, they're now you know not looking super great uh, against a Martinique team that is like not even a team uh, according to FIFA. Yeah, I I certainly think it, 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 if this if the U.S. finds a way to scratch its way into the knockout stage, which they it would be just shocking if they didn't. Uh, but if they if they find a way to do that, I would be at this point very surprised if Darlington Nagby is not called up because, frankly, I think the U.S. needs him pretty pretty badly right now. Um, so yeah, that would take him out certainly out of the RSL game, almost certainly, uh, unless something catastrophic happens in the early knockout rounds, uh, out of the Vancouver game. And if the U S advances to the final, it would take him also out of the Houston game after that. Not great. Okay. Let's talk about the next thing, which is Timbers against RSL. That is going to be, uh, next Wednesday. I, I think I didn't write it down. It's either a seven o'clock or seven thirty game. Uh, but the big question going into this is the one you just alluded to, which is, will Laris Mabiala play in this game for the Timbers? What do you think? Does he make his debut, uh, against the Claret and Cobalt? Um, obviously Caleb Porter sometimes doesn't want to show his cards, but in speaking to him on Tuesday, he definitely was sounded like it was leading towards a no. Um, he, he consistently said it's going to be a tough, um, to make that happen. Uh, especially with him only getting about two weeks with the team. The the major decision, I, I think, is happening tomorrow. Um, they're going to play an 11 v. 11 scrimmage um, since there's no game this week in training. And they're going to be, the Timbers obviously monitor heart rates, um, monitor um, kind of exertion um, through their sports science staff. They're going to be monitoring Mabiala uh, very closely to see what it looks like and whether they think he's fit enough to be in that game. The, the thing about him is you want him to play 90 minutes as a center back. So if he's not 90 minutes fit um, or very, very close to that, um, if you, they feel like he'd have to come off of the 60th minute, the Timbers are not going to be able to start him because of his position. Uh, so I, I think it's very questionable. Maybe Caleb's not uh, showing his cards, uh, kind of leaving that up in the air. Um, but right now, um, just based on what I've heard and um, based on talking to Porter, I guess I would have to lean towards a no. Yikes. <laughs> um, okay. 14 games left in the season. This is all very, you know, disconcerting. 14 games left in the season. Uh, how important do you think this game against against RSL is? So, I mean, the Timbers are now at a spot where in the standings, yes, they're still in fourth in the Western Conference. They're in sixth, though, when it comes to points per game. 27 points through 20 games is nothing uh, to write home about and to be proud of. But the Western Conference has sort of let him off the hook to some extent. Uh, a lot of times that would be something that would that would put you right on or below the red line. Uh, but yet they're still sort of right in the thick of kind of a muddled middle from basically three all the way down through about eight or even nine uh, in this Western Conference. So certainly down through eight. How... How important is this game for, for the Timbers? I mean, are we at the, the, the time of the season where you say, look, these home games against lesser opponents, you have to get three points or your opportunities to get points are, are fading away? Is this kind of a red alert moment? Yeah, um, I, I think it is. I, I think RSL is an opponent the Timbers have to get a result against at home. And if they don't, um, they could be a – you have to look at goal differential uh, a little bit. Um, that might be what keeps them above the red line, but they are going to be tied on points or with the teams right around the red line. 
um, potentially, uh, depending on other results. They they could be, like I said earlier, right around that red line in danger of dropping down very quickly uh, if they can't get a result against RSL. Um, and a tie, yeah, that would kind of keep them just above uh, like they've been. Uh, but teams around them have games in hand. Um, the Western Conference, like you said, ha- has given them the opportunity to sort of remain above the red line while still... Uh, failing to get results in recent weeks, but at some point that will catch up with them. They can't continue dropping results, especially against weak teams at home. So yeah, I, I know the Timbers are going to be shorthanded, potentially very, very shorthanded uh, with what we're talking about, but this is a game they have to win. And, and anything less, uh, there's no encouraging performances here. A- anything less would be a massive disappointment and could ultimately have playoff implications. They have to pick up... Maybe this specific game isn't going to be the difference between them making the playoffs or not making the playoffs, but they have to pick up wins against weak teams at home if they hope to be in the playoffs at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, I, I just don't think they can keep going on. Uh, these games that are winnable, that are, that are certainly susceptible to having three points taken out of them and keep blowing it. So I agree. I, I think we're now at the point of the season where, you know, I mean, you're, as you're right to point out a couple of weeks ago, there's no such thing as a must win in even July. Uh, and, and that's that, that's a perfectly fair point. There will be 13 games yet to play after this one, uh, as long as my math is okay. But, yeah, you can't afford to drop points like these because it just makes it that much harder going forward. And, and look, I mean, if there was at one point uh, a margin for error, that's been frittered away over the course of the last month or so when the Timbers have dropped so many points. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think there is none left, and you've got to get points out of games like this, even if you do have uh, some absences for a, a variety of reasons. Uh, a few questions uh, for on the Timbers end of things before we move on to the Thorns. Uh, this one is, is a combination of uh, Feather River Fireteam uh, and Josh, uh, who both want to know something along the lines of, what do we know about Darren Maddox trade rumors? So I sort of, just in spitballing on Twitter, uh, said that I thought this is something to keep an eye on. That was just my own speculation, uh, not based on anything else, but uh, Kristen Dyer, who is a, a sort of New York Red Bulls uh, sort of TV partner uh, person, uh, included in a piece this week that, that his sources are telling him that the Timbers are, in fact, shopping Maddox. Uh, what do you think the likelihood uh, of these coming to fruition are, that the Timbers trade Maddox? I, I mean, I'm not sure what his value is at the moment. Um, maybe the Gold Cup uh, kind of raises that. I, I don't think he's been very effective for the Timbers this year. Um, I, I think if the opportunity comes up, if they are shopping him around, similar to um, I, I think they're probably doing that with McInerney earlier in the year. Um, if the opportunity comes up to trade him, I, I think they would probably take it. I, I don't think he's been that effective for them. And if they can get another option, that I think could potentially be an upgrade. Um, I think, I still think it's probably unlikely. I'm not sure what his value is at the moment. Um, so I'd lean towards no in that anything is going to happen. Um, but it doesn't shock me that they're shopping him around. And if the right offer comes up, I, I think they would take it. It is fair to point out that the, the Dyer has had a number of, of sort of Timbers rumors in the past. Uh, I think it is fair. Maybe be fair uh, to call his track record on those mixed. Um, so, you know, I mean, it, it, this is ultimately coming from 
a sort of East Coast based, relatively local uh, reporter about the Timbers. So and that is certainly a, a fair consideration. But you're right. I mean, it would make sense if the Timbers were sort of sniffing around looking to see if there was interest there. Uh, and it would make sense, especially in light of the emergence of Dirona Spria and the desire, the 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 need, the expectation uh, of getting some moments, uh, some minutes on the field uh, for Jeremy Abobasi. It would make sense uh, for for the the Timbers to to make a deal for Darren Maddox if a deal was out there to be made. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I would put it. You know, if I were to put a percentage on it. I would say maybe a 30 to 40% chance that the Timbers move him uh, during this window. 40% might be a bit high, uh, maybe closer to 30. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I certainly think it's within the realm of possibilities uh, to be sure. Uh, by the way, the, the U.S. in a great moment uh, of relief just went up against Martinique. Uh, Omar Gonzalez on, on the goal there now up 1-0. So that just makes things for Darlington Nagby look all the more likely uh, that he may be headed into national team duty for that knockout stage. Um, okay, uh, next. Jeremy, do you expect the Timbers to make any other moves in the transfer window aside from uh, the signing of Larry Smabiala? Um, I, I think this is on the, the kind of the same thing with the Maddox rumors. Yeah, that might happen. Um, but if I were to take a percentage on it, I, I, I think it's less likely, um, maybe 30% that they'll make any other move. Um I, I think this might be it, um, given the salary cap, given their constraints there. Um, I think it's less likely um, than likely that the Timbers will make a move. But, hey, if something comes up for a player like Maddox, um, a, a good trade, yeah, I think they might take something like that. I think you understate it, but for just sort of a, a you know, not a specific reason, but just a general reason. And that, and that is, I think there's always a decent chance that they're going to make some sort of minor move uh in uh, a window like this bring a guy in on loan that doesn't take up a senior roster spot you know i mean something like that sort of an ishmael yarte or or or, or some such thing uh that they may do uh, i mean those are always sort of options that that wouldn't even necessarily have salary cap implications uh and and so you know i i don't know if something like that is going to happen but you know i would say there's sort of always a built-in 30 percent chance uh, of something like that happening so i'm going to say 60 percent chance <laughs> combining my 30 from Maddox to with this 30, uh, a 60% chance that the Timbers make some sort of other move in the transfer window. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I, I don't think there's anything that sort of screams out as being obvious in light of the Timbers cap situation with, the, I think we would both agree is, is likely to be pretty tight at, at this point. Uh, Mike wants to know, will Liam Ridgewell ever be a starter again? Dun, dun, dun. I think there are enough games left this season that Liam Ridgewell will start a few games again for the Timbers. Okay, over-under on the number of games Liam Ridgewell starts in the remainder of his Timbers career. So we we have, what, 14 games left? 14 regular season games left this year. Potentially 34 regular season games left for next year. He, he is under contract uh, for next year, as we know. So, yeah, over-under. What, what do you set it as? I'm gonna say under seven. So you so you would set the over under at say seven and a half because that's how these work. Yes. Okay. So you set your over under at, at seven and a half. This is I think that's a really good number to set your over under at. You should you you could probably make a lot more money in Vegas than uh, <laughs> than being a, a professional uh, sports sports journalist. Man, uh, seven and a half. I will take the under because I think seven is basically uh, just about right. Um, yes, I do think he'll be a starter in, in some games. 
but look, I mean, I, I, I think the both the combination of the injury concerns, uh, I, I think when he's healthy, he is definitely still the, the Timbers starting left back. Uh, but when he's healthy is, is a big qualification. And frankly, at this point, I can't see the Timbers taking him into uh, into 2018 unless they have absolutely no other choice. Uh, and they likely will have some other choice to make. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm going to go under your seven and a half. Uh, and you know, that, that's not, not a good thing. Uh, Colton wants to know, do we have an update on Benga Arroquayo? Will we see him before the end of the year? Uh, I have a just visual update on Benga Arroquayo. Not like right now. I don't see him at the moment. Uh, but I did see him at the game the other day. He's up and he's walking around. Uh, so obviously there's been no sort of like major setback on that Achilles injury that he had. Uh, as far as the first team goes, the, the simple answer to that is no. Uh, the Timbers use sort of the season injury in, season ending injury replacement rule uh, on Arroquio, which means he will not play for the first team again this year. He can, though, if he gets fit and healthy uh, and there is enough time, and, and I, I think there's only about a couple of months left in the T2 season, he could play uh, hypothetically for T2 uh, th- this year. We'll see if that happens. I mean, the, the, those Achilles-type injuries can certainly be ones that, that take, you know, a good solid eight, 10, 12 months sometimes to, to be back in playing shape from, uh, he is young. So you'd think that that would be, uh, a little bit on, on the, the, the faster side, as opposed to somebody like, uh, Nat Borchers, but nevertheless, uh, I think it is, you know, unlikely, uh, that we even see him in a T2 capacity just because that season doesn't run all that much longer. Okay, Jack wants to know wants to know basically the question that I think everybody is is asking, and maybe the sixty four thousand dollar question, so to speak. Can the Timbers become con- contenders again? What do you say? I I think it's possible. Um, no, I don't think it's possible for Supporter Shield, but whether they can become MLS Cup contenders, yeah. Um, this is a team when you look back to two thousand fifteen. That I, I think people were questioning, where do we go from here? Is the Caleb Porter era ineffective? Um, it, it was not a tremendous season. It was a very up and down season. And there was questions about whether the club was going to make playoffs up, up until I believe the last three games where they went to RSL and won, went to LA to, and won and came home and beat Colorado. Um, so this is a team that's had, hasn't ever really been dominant Um 2013 uh, is definitely the best season overall that they've had when a regular season. Um, but they haven't been a team that's just taking first place or taking to the top of the Western conference and stayed there for the entire year. They're a team that has been kind of around that red line every single year. And they either turn it on in the end and they turn it on in time or they don't. Um, so this is a team that I think we saw against Chicago. We saw against Kansas city even with injuries, they have talent. They are capable of putting in a dominant performance. They have yet to show in recent weeks that they are also capable of getting the result they deserve been um, grinding out those wins when, when they put in strong performances. Um, but if they can put that together and they can get it going by the end of the season and they're playing their best soccer then, that's what happened in 2015. So, yes, uh, it's still potential. I, I think the discussions of Supporters Shield have gone out the window. But it's it's still a possibility that this team is going to make playoffs and at least contend for an MLS Cup this year. I think the the answer to this is a resounding yes. Uh, and look, even thinking back on that 2015 team, and, and the 2015 team is a team that 
throughout much of the season, I, I remember both you and I were kind of saying, yeah, I mean, this team, it's defensively strong. If, if, the, if the attack can get clicking, they can be really good. And that was a good take because that's what happened. I That, that wasn't really the case last year. Uh, you know, we really didn't see much from the Timbers last year that made you think, man, this team just needs this one thing to happen or this team is awfully close to getting things fo- to fall into place uh, and they could go on a big run. I think there was sort of maybe speculation that that could, that that could be the case, but really the evidentiary sort of support for, for that kind of speculation wasn't that great. And it was basically based just on the fact that Timbers teams under Caleb Porter had done that a lot historically. This year's team is, I think, even beyond the 2015 team in sort of the feeling of, man, it looks like there are a lot of really good things in there that they're just not quite bringing out. I think the attack has been inconsistent, but we've seen it be, frankly, spectacular at times. It was very good uh, against uh, against Chicago. It has been very good uh, at times over the course of the season, at home and on the road, uh, where you look at this team and you say, that looks every bit like an elite MLS team, like an MLS team that that is... Uh, not only a contender for MLS Cup, but could be a favorite for MLS Cup. Uh, so the attack has certainly had moments in which they've looked good. And, and frankly, they're coming off maybe their most sort of complete performance uh, in that respect, as, as we talked about. The the defense is is an interesting thing. The, the Timbers defense is, is 13th in MLS in, in goals against per game, uh, which is not good uh, by, by any means. 22 teams in MLS, you can do the math there, but 13th is not uh, standing that you want to be in. It's not catastrophic. It's not like they're they're just bleeding goals all over the place. Uh, they're they're you know in the pack, even if a little bit more toward the back of it. What's remarkable about that though is that the Timbers are fifth in MLS in expected goals allowed. Now, uh, certainly there are people who are fans of expected goals and, and, and those who are not. It is, if anything, it, it is a pretty useful tool for sort of figuring out how many chances a team is giving up. And that goal, that that statistic, that they're fifth in MLS, not just good, but actually really good, uh, in expected goals allowed, really suggests that the Timbers don't give up a lot of chances. And a team that's not giving up a lot of chances shouldn't be giving up a lot of goals. As we've talked about, the Timbers have an amazing ability to nonetheless find ways to give up goals and have demonstrated that. But look, I mean, you see a guy like Benga or <laughs> like Laris Maviala coming into the team. If he's a guy that can make a few of those plays, if the Timbers just uh, collectively, whether it's Roy Miller or whether it's Liam Ridgewell, uh, whether it's Jake Gleason uh, or Jeff Adanella, uh, if the Timbers collectively can just start making a few of those plays, that expected goal stat to me tells me pretty convincingly that there's nothing sort of structurally, fundamentally flawed, even with this defense. If there was something fundamentally, structurally flawed, and teams were regularly pulling the Timbers apart, uh, pulling the Timbers' defense apart, we would they would not be fifth in expected goals allowed uh, per game in MLS. They are. And that tells me that even the Timbers' defense is pretty darn close to being at least solid, at least you know, above average, maybe not great, uh, but, but but above the the league median. And frankly, if you get out of this uh, attack, what you what you certainly see the, the the potential. You've got Sebastian Blanco really starting to heat up now. Uh, you've got Dairon Espria chipping in. Uh, you've got Diego Valeri putting in one of putting together one of his best seasons as a Timber. Fernando Adi really hasn't even been that good over the course of the last month or so, uh, or month or two even, and yet he still has ten goals and certainly has. 
uh, more that he can give the Timbers. If the attack gets to that point, which does not seem that far off, and if the defense can just sort of stop stepping on its own foot, this team could be outstanding. Really, really outstanding. And so I, I, I think the answer to Jack's question is a resounding yes. The Thorns, they are an equally mystifying team right now. Uh, they went down to Houston and got a 1-1 draw. Uh, Janine Becky got the first uh, really early on, I think in just the eighth minute to open the scoring. Uh, Lindsey Horan, though, a really, really nicely hit free kick in second half stoppage time. Salvaged the point for the Thorns. Uh, our predictions, your prediction was a 2-1 Thorns win uh, with an Ashley Sykes goal. That didn't happen my prediction was a 1-1 draw with a Lindsey Horan goal, which which I'm trying to figure out where that sounds familiar from. And I think it's because I like said it 30 seconds ago in like the actual result of the game. Once again, Jamie Goldberg, you can give out the points just because I want to enjoy this. <laughs> Once again, I got the opponent's points right. Um, that's all apparently I can get. Uh, I get zero. Um... <laughs> I'm, I'm, if you can hear it, I'm like, uh, I'm you know, rubbing my hands together. <laughs> um, and you are going to get. Oh, the right suspension, the, the suspension, the suspense is killing you me. Come on. You are going to get 65. Man, points. That's a lot of points for today. Uh, that leads to this question. A uh, very good question from long time, uh, you know, long time <laughs> fan of the podcast question from Chris. Uh, is Chris the best at predictions ever? Jamie Goldberg, what do you say? No, uh, I actually <laughs> think last year when someone was actually keeping track of our predictions, I, I was like, like way ahead of you. So yeah, uh, that's just based on some person keep awesomely keeping track of predictions. And, um, <laughs> I'm not even sure if that was through the entire season, but I remember the, when I looked at that being and being pretty impressed about how much better I was than you. So, um, I, I'm not sure if history backs up your claim, Chris. Nonetheless, this is definitely the best week of predictions that I can remember in, in, in soccer in Portland history. I'm flying high, uh, getting two games result score. And even like at least most of the side bet uh, on one and all of the side bet on the other. Who boy, I feel awfully good about that. Um, so I'm going to say the answer to Chris's question is yes. Um, okay. Uh, I think it's fair to, to sort of grant as part of this next question, sort of just grant the premise that the dash are a better team with Carly Lloyd. Duh. She's one of the best players in the world, right? She's going to make a team better. Uh, viewing the, the sort of game as a whole though, do you think that put to rest any of the sort of away form concerns that we've been talking about over the course of frankly, the last couple weeks, but especially that we were talking about on the podcast, uh, last week? What do you think about about sort of the performance as a whole and, and, and whether it was what you expected to see from the Thorns? No, I, I, I don't think um, it did enough to put those uh, concerns to rest. I, I think the Thorns were dealing with some tough conditions. Obviously, the delay of the game, the weather in Houston. Obviously, the Dash were dealing with the same things, though um, there may play be some home field advantage in that. Uh, but the Thorns didn't have a good first half, um, and they conceded the early goal. Um, it wasn't the performance you want out of a team that's trying to prove that they can get wins on the road and, and climb their way back up the standings. I think they were better in the second half. And obviously, I think that should give them a lot of confidence to get that goal from Haran. Um, very impressive goal to be able to get that goal from Haran and salvage that point um, at the end. Um, there's a lot of reasons to draw positives from that and from aspects of the second half performance. 
but they're not doing enough to put in a complete performance on the road and they're and they're not doing enough to get three points particularly uh, against a weak team yes carly lloyd like you said makes the dash a lot better but they are still a weak team and i, I don't think they've proved even with carly lloyd uh, who has been here a few games that they're suddenly going to be a contender or anything like that this year uh, so i don't think that's good enough from the thorns this is a team that has very high expectations and um i think we'll get into this in a minute but they have more losses this season than they had in the entirety of last season they have almost as many draws so the record they had last year that's pretty much that that is out of reach at, at this point um this team has is just over halfway through the season and they've underperformed and the away form has been a huge part of that. And I think they still need to take major steps forward on the road to prove that they can be the team that they were last year to prove to that they can be the team that I, I think that where the expectations were set for them. You know, and I think further reinforcing that is just the fact that look, viewing that, that game as a whole, the Thorns were maybe even a little bit fortunate to to get the point point out of it. Frank, there were a lot of uh, opportunities, and including even up until late into the game, in which the Dash certainly looked like they could have potentially grabbed a second uh, and and sort of put the game away. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think far from doing anything to put uh, to rest any of those away form concerns, it reinforced them very significantly. The Dash, even with Lloyd, uh, even though they are better, I think they're 2-1-2 two, and two now with Lloyd uh, back in the team now that she's back from, from Man City. But nonetheless, like, like that is a, a very, very beatable team, uh, even on the road, even in light of the conditions. And yet the Thorns were probably fortunate to come away with the point. I, I mean, a point on the road is a point on the road, and... and you know, that's never anything that, that is devastatingly bad. But look, this has been an issue. This has been a problem. And in the last three road games, this Thorns team that we thought was ready to sort of take off uh, and, and to really join the shield race uh, has one point from their last three road games. And that's that's not good. That's only one more point than the minimum, uh, which is zero. Uh, Carly Lloyd, speaking of whom, got a red card late in the game for a high boot uh, on Mallory Weber. Uh, it was sort of one of those ball in the air kind of 50-50 challenges. Uh, pictures a- afterwards show that, that, that Lloyd uh, appeared to to catch uh, Weber pretty well with her cleat uh, and, and with her studs uh, showing. She tweeted after the game, though, that she thought that in sort of a meme uh, that she thought that red card should be appealed. It turns out there's not really any way to do that in NWSL, which is kind of shocking uh, that we're this far along and there's no way to do that, but put a pin in that one. Did you think, uh, go to the substance, did you think that red card was deserved? And if they had appealed, if there was some sort of mechanism to do that, do you think it would have been overturned? I think that given that it was a 50-50 ball, it it makes it a bit questionable. But I I thought Mallory Weber did get there first uh, with enough time. Obviously, her leg was high as well, but Carly Lloyd came in studs up and hit her really hard um, on that uh, to a ball that I felt that Mallory Weber got to first. so yeah, I I think maybe it's questionable, um, but I am not convinced that it, it it is as atrocious as Carly Lloyd uh, has been making out to be. Um, I, I'm not sure if that is given going to be given in all situations, um, but I'm also not sure if given the referee's decision and what she saw in that moment. Um, I, I'm not sure if that's something that would be overturned either um, because she did come in studs up and, and to a ball that I think she got beat to and, and knocked Valerie Weber pretty hard to the ground. 
Yeah, you know, I, I thought she knocked Weber pretty hard to the ground. I didn't think there was sort of a, a excessive force a, a, in the challenge. I mean, I, I don't think, frankly, there was any reasonable chance that Lloyd was going to injure Weber. Uh, and that's an important consideration when you're talking about whether this is a red card, because this is a situation in which you do see boots in the air pretty often. But you're correct to point out that, look, in moments like that, players are expected to do whatever they can to keep their studs from showing, right? To keep their studs down or as down as they can get them. And, and, and Lloyd clearly didn't do that. I mean, you can look at the picture and they're just, they're out there like for the world to see uh, and, 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 and to find a leg to catch. And in this instance, they certainly did. So, I mean, I, I think you've got a little bit of a, of a confluence of, of some factors pointing in a different direction. I think you're right. You probably see that not given more often than not. But it's hard to look at that in light of the, the fact that the, that the studs were so exposed. It's hard to look at that and say it's, it's way out of the question or super unreasonable. Uh, and typically the, the, the standard of review in overturning a red card like this is extremely high. Like it's an unconscionable red card. And, and I think here, uh, even if it, it is uh, maybe on the softer end of the spectrum of red cards you will generally see given, it doesn't even come close to being the kind of thing uh, that would be overturned on an appeal, even if such a mechanism existed. And so uh, I, I think the lack of a mechanism doesn't hurt uh, Lloyd in that instance because, well, it would have been overturned. It, it, it would have been upheld and her appeal would have been denied in any event. Look, the Thorns are now in fifth. Uh, I, I mean, we're, we're, we're at a point where we've got 11 games left in the season. The Thorns are in fifth. They're sitting one point out uh, of playoff position, granted. Uh, so they're not so they're, they're not adrift by any means, but they are nonetheless out of playoff position. Is it time to get really concerned about this? I mean, is there a legitimate chance that this Thorns team, uh, whom I, I think everybody thought was going to be one of the two best teams in NWSL this year, might not even make the playoffs? Yeah, I, I mean, there is some concern there. You look at the team right behind the Thorns, Orlando Pride, I, I think with Alex Morgan back and Marta, they're a danger. Um, obviously, the Dash uh, with Carly Lloyd are a better team um, than they have shown. So there are other teams behind the Thorns that can also work their way up. And then there's the four teams in front of the Thorns right now. Um, this team, if I were to guess right now, I if I were to take a bet, I would say the Thorns are going to end up in playoffs. I, I think they have enough talent to do it. Um, but those top two spots are looking quite difficult. Um, at this point, they may just end up sneaking in. Um, and I, I think the possibility is there. If their road form continues to be as bad as it's been and they drop a result here or there at home, that the, there is the possibility that this team could be out of playoffs this year. And that would be a massive, massive disappointment uh, if they can at least get in. Um, and, and even honestly, getting in third or fourth is, was not the expectation for this team. Um, but at this point, they, that might be what they have to settle for it. And they still have to turn things on to ensure that they're going to at least be in that position. You know, the, and this goes back to the point that you were alluding to a moment ago. There are some things that point in the Thorns' favor. Uh, the, of those 11 games, they have six at home, five away. That's a little advantage, I suppose. Uh, of those away games, they do have a number uh, of away games against teams below them in the standings that, that you would typically think uh, the Thorns certainly could go on the road and, and, and get some points. They, the Thorns have still been quite good at Providence Park. Uh, and, and so there are sort of things that point in the direction. And the other thing is, and, and this is this sort of 
we don't talk about this a whole lot, but it is a, certainly a fair point. Uh, the Thorns are fourth, and, and, and they have a goal difference of plus four. A lot of times people look at goal difference uh, as sort of an indicator of future success. If you have a good goal difference, you are likely to be just a good team. Uh, whereas if you're a team with a bad goal difference but but has racked up some points, talking about you, Sky Blue, uh, then you might be a, a team that's the, that, frankly, is, is looking to, to, to be in danger of some regression. That is very very much a very general uh, rule of thumb. It is not not by any means a sort of uh, tried and true uh, predictor uh, of the future. But there are some things nonetheless that point in the Thorns' favor. But yeah, I mean, at this point, the question is whether, I mean, the reasonable question is whether they're going to sort of squeak in to the playoffs. Uh, you've got teams above them that are playing very well. The Courage still look excellent. The Fire still look very, very good. There are people who think maybe the Fire might even be uh, the, the best team in NWSL. Megan Rapino is having one of her best seasons of her career right now uh, for, for the rain. And our friend Richard Farley is basically saying uh, that the MVP award, barring something extraordinary, the MVP award may be wrapped up uh, for Rapino. And, and, and so the, the rain looked very good as well. And so there are teams above the thorns that look excellent at this point. And they are very much in the position now where they're scratching and clawing, just trying to get in. That's not where anybody uh, expected them to be. And I think there is very good reason if they don't turn those road results around, if they're not able to go on the road and get some of those points, there's very good reason to think they may not make the playoffs. Thorns versus Courage, that is one of those home games. It's going to be Saturday, uh, 12.30 p.m. So uh, some Saturday soccer action, which is uh, getting rarer and rarer here in the Rose City. Uh, Saturday afternoon game uh, against the Courage, currently topping the table You know, I mean, in light of the fact that the Courage are uh, atop the table, the Thorns have been struggling a bit. I mean, is this a game where you'd be okay with the point coming out of it? Or or, or are you saying, look, that's a luxury that you really don't have anymore because of some of the recently dropped road results? I I, I think they need all three points out of this one. Um, Yes, they are dealing with absences um, that North Carolina isn't. Um, and, and yes, it's going to be a tough game, but they're at home and the Thorns have shown that they can be a good home team. And, and given the road form and the questions there, I, I think this is a game that they have to get all three points. Mark Parson said today that because of how the Thorns have done in the first half, they're going to have to look at some of these games in the second half where they said, maybe a point here is good. Um, may, maybe we can get away with something like that and reevaluate that because they're going to need to pick up points in the second half to get to where they want to be. Um, and so I think that's one of these games where a point just isn't going to be good enough here. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, as I sort of alluded to it in the setup, I think that sort of mindset of saying, Hey, the courage are really good. Uh, even if you only get a point out of the game, that, that that's not a terrible result. Uh, that's a luxury. The Thorns just don't have anymore. Plain and simple. Uh, and, uh, they've got to make up some ground at this point, even if it's not a ton of ground, they have to make up, they certainly have to make it up. And, that was the, the when you're making up, needing to make up ground, you don't have the luxury, regardless who you're playing at home, uh, of saying one point is enough. So, yeah, I, I tend to agree three points or a bust. Uh, let's go ahead then and predict that game. Uh, Thorns versus Courage. Uh, are they going to get those three points? Jamie Goldberg. I um, am a little bit concerned about this game, given the absences, given the Thorns' recent performances, and given how good North Carolina is going to be. I, I think that they're going to end up with that one point, um, which like we said, is not going to be good enough. I'm predicting a two, two draw. Uh, I think Allie long will get the goal here. 
2-2 draw with an alley-long goal is what you call. I'm going to go out on a limb that I'm not sure they deserve me going out on. Uh, I'm going to say they are going to get this. Uh, I think the defense has just been significantly better at Providence Park than it has been on the road. Uh, they've been a lot cleaner at Providence Park than we've seen them on, on the road recently. And so I do think uh, this is going to be a game uh, in, in which the Thorns are going to be able to keep a clean sheet. I don't know how I feel about that prediction. I, this is very much like a heat check kind of thing where I'm like, I, I, I'm confident. I've gotten a big head from last week. I think they're going to keep a clean sheet. They're going to win at 1-0. Lindsey Horan is going to score a goal. It's going to be from an alley-long assist. Uh, and that's going to be enough to, uh, albeit not convincingly, uh, to get a very, very important and frankly, very good three points. Timbers RSL, that is looking ahead to next week. Uh, I don't think we're going to record between now and then. I think we're likely to record after that game and between and before the Vancouver game. But nonetheless, uh, let's go ahead and get it in now. Uh, Timbers RSL, that is Wednesday evening. Uh, what do you say? Um, I am just feeling crazy. Um, I just wanted to do a crazy prediction, I guess. Um, I am going to predict. You're feeling like you got to make up some ground too. Yeah. You're feeling like the thorns yeah, right I need, now. I need a winner here. Um, I, I'm going to predict that the Timbers are going to win this game because RSL ha- has not been good. Um, the, the absences are going to be questionable, but the Timbers are going to find a way. Finally, um, they're going to win three to two. Um, and Diego Valeri is kind of going to carry them on his back. He's going to get a hat trick. Calling the first hat trick in Timbers MLS history. That would indeed uh, be a, a side bet. That, that would be a side bet that would get you, that would make up a lot of ground uh, for you in this points where the game, where the points are given uh, entirely arbitrarily. Um, I'm going to call a 2 1 win for the Timbers. Uh, you know, it's funny. It, it, Conventional wisdom, as of a week ago, uh, I, I would have said just as confidently as you did right there that RSL is just a terrible team. And then, and this is just MLS being MLS. On the 4th of July, they go down to LA Galaxy at uh, StubHub Center and they win 6-2. Given Galaxy have been a team that have, that have struggled mightily uh, at times this season, but I, I mean, they, that's, that's a result that's hard to explain given how RSL has looked previously. And so I'm given a little bit of pause. Nonetheless, I think the Timbers are going to get it. I think it's going to be a 2-1 win for the Timbers. And I'm going to call, again, heat check time. I'm going to say Laris Mabiala is not only going to play, not only going to make his debut for the Timbers, he's going to score a goal. Uh, and that is going to be very exciting for everybody at Providence Park. Okay, fantasy update time. Uh, the top three is in third, Timbers Beast, that's Fargal. Uh, he's sitting on 1,786 points, although I should mention uh, in a tie with Victorious Secret FC, Christian uh, also tied for third with 1,786 Second place, just a little bit ahead of them, is Timbertown, that is Lie, uh, with 1,791 points uh, in the top spot still, and comfortably so. Big hearts, brass balls. That's Aaron at 1,835. I moved up uh, this last week into 25th place, uh, so I'm in the top 25. I guess if this were college football, I would be ranked. Yay. Uh, you, however, uh, would only be in... I remember I really enjoyed the old like ESPN bottom 10 columns. I don't know if they still do those. Uh, they would rank the the worst 10 college football teams of the week. You would be like the, the, the mainstay in the bottom 10 column. Zero points because, well, you don't play. So I guess you're the, you know, there's a, I'm sure there are big universities that don't play college football. Uh, but nonetheless, you don't play college football. Um, or MLS Fantasy. We are Soccer Made in Portland. Just on the other side of the internet from me, that is Jamie Goldberg. I'm Chris Reifer. Uh, I'm going to go see if the U.S. can hold on for 
what is now a 3-2 result against Martinique. Goodness gracious. Uh, Jamie is going to go probably do the same thing because, <laughs> you know, that's what we do. Uh, but thank you for tuning in. Uh, as always, thank you so much for, for the questions, even in this off week. Uh, enjoy the Thorns game uh, against the Courage and a little bit farther down the road, uh, the Timbers game against RSL. Uh, and until all of that happens, we will be back next week once again for your questions and to recap all of that. Until then, enjoy the soccer. And as always, take care.